Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. Americans are signing up for health care as part of open enrollment, which began on November 1st. But the election is leading to a, a big sense of uncertainty surrounding the marketplace. President-elect Donald Trump has promised uh, and promised during his campaign to change the health care system. And today we're going to talk about that, about open enrollment and the future of the Affordable Care Act. We have four guests with us. One is joining us from Chicago by phone. Kathleen Falk is Director of Health and Human Services for Region 5, which includes the six Great Lakes states. David Orentlicker is a professor of the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at IUPUI in Indianapolis. Julia Holloway is Senior Project Director for Aspen Navigator Programs. And Kosalee Simon is back with us again today. She's School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. If you want to join the program, if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 1-812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And also join the uh, join us on Noon Edition at Herald T- or, uh, I'm sorry, Noon Edition at <laughs> indiana.edu. And you can go to Twitter at Noon Edition. Thank you all. Thank you all for being here with us today. It's a really big topic. It's um, We've talked about it. Um, before David and Kosali have both been here with us before and talk about a lot of different issues and the Affordable Care Act has been a frequent topic of Noon Edition. So what's next, Kosali? I'm going to start with you. What do you expect um, in the coming years, uh, months to happen with uh, you know the new government we have in place? I think that there's going to be a high degree of uncertainty about how what health reform will will look like, um, starting with um, a, a repeal, and we don't know what kind of then after delay or um, uh, immediate change of some some provisions. But then um, there'll be this period of figuring out what's what's going to be the replacement, um, and there's a high degree of. Um, uncertainty around even the timing of when something might happen. But definitely we know that actions will be taken with a view towards an attack at repeal. We don't know which particular features, how they would change, and what the timeline would be. But um, as, as things play out, I think the challenge is going to be if there are other avenues to get to covering this many people and reducing price. What are the forums? What are they going to look like? We don't have much. We, we know that big picture and uh, lots of possibilities have been floated, but we really don't have much concrete to, to talk about what that alternative will look like. How many people are we talking about? How many are covered by the Affordable Care Act? So it's uh, depending on the estimates you'll, you'll look at from different places, we're talking roughly 20 million people. I think that's the ballpark that, that a lot of estimates are a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Um, so that's a lot of people to try and cover in some other way. And I think that once the po- we've, we've become us accustomed to having this low level of uninsurance, we've gone from about 16% of Americans being uninsured prior to the Affordable Care Act to something <coughs> about half of that, 8 to 9%. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think the public will want any alternative to uphold in terms of will be judged against. Like, are we going to have that many people covered? Okay. David, I'm going to have you bookend this conversation, but I want to go to Julia uh, and Kathleen and talk about what's happening right now um, because the Affordable Care Act is you know, still on the books. People are signing up. What do you find? Well, it, very busy right now. Um, we are have we've had a hundred calls so far this week with people requesting appointments. Over we've been doing this for the last three years, 
and we've had over um, 6,000 calls over the last three years, and we've helped, uh, we've filled out over 10,000 applications for folks to um, uh, do that. We have navigators all over the state, and people working very long hours, and people calling in very um, it's up from last year uh, from the number of people that are calling and wanting to have appointments. Mm-hmm. So what, what are the biggest questions that people have? Um, people are just wanting to find an affordable plan. And so navigators sit down with them. They, here in Monroe County, there's 33 plans to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the navigators will sit down with them and look that uh, that up. Most people get those subsidies and can get a plan for under $75 a month. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kathleen, from, you have a broader view. Uh, again, how, how do you think the signups are going this year? And, it, you know, is it true? We've heard a lot about how there are a lot of rates that have gone up considerably. Can you talk about the rate issue? Sure. Why don't I start with that first? And there, there is good news uh, for Hoosers because the statewide, the rates actually decreased, not increased, by 3% this year. So as Julia said, there's, there's an appetite and people are shopping. Um, I also, uh, you know, wanted to corroborate uh, Professor Simon's uh, statistics because uh, that, that is consistent with the numbers we have seen that thanks to the Affordable Care Act now, 20 million more Americans have health coverage, and it's good quality health coverage in addition. Uh, in the first month of this three-month open enrollment period, as Julia described, we are seeing record numbers. Um, Over 2.1 million nationwide have enrolled in this first month of the open enrollment period. That's uh, almost 100,000 more during the equivalent period last year. So while we have accomplished and reached so many people who now have the security, financial um, and health security of good coverage, we know there are still more people to reach and we can see that they are really interested in shopping and are doing so. So, David, I want to oh, – yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, I had sort of a, you know, a, a, I guess a, the secondary point was just so, – so you think it's going, it's going well at this point. Um, so, you know, what, from, from your vantage point, I mean, what, what are some of the key areas that um, may concern you about what might happen next? Uh, this is Kathleen yeah, Falk again, Kathleen, and yeah. I'm happy happy to speak to that. Yes, and, please. And this, this this gets to the you know to the wisdom of Congress and the president when they put together this law uh, now six years ago, where you know what what existed then was the situation where so many people, millions of people in the country who had pre-existing conditions like heart disease or diabetes or cancer, you know, many of them could not find health insurance at any price because an insurance company would refuse to insure them. Well, one of the many benefits of the Affordable Care Act is that no longer can happen. Um, in, in Indiana, about 2.7 million people had pre-existing conditions. It's a lot of, a lot of people. Um, back before the Affordable Care Act, an insurance company could impose an annual or lifetime limit on your benefits and again if you had a serious illness you could very quickly bump up to that annual or lifetime limit and in indiana there was over two million people in that category so we we know that those kinds of trauma and challenges and problems are what led to the passage of the law and that people are not going to view that as uh, the good old days but quite contrary they were very stressful sad days with uh, bankruptcies and and people not getting the health care they needed. Um, we will also now, you know, six years later, can see how young people can stay on their parents' plans until the age of 26, and the difference that's made for them. And maybe one final example here is the three preventative services that are now required, uh, so they can get that cancer screening, you can get that mammogram or the flu shot or the well child visits. Those are really important to get to the underlying goal here, which is to have people be healthier um, and not have to worry about health coverage by getting sick. It's really preventive care. That's, I think, everyone's goal. 
David, as our as our fourth fourth voice being brought into the the conversation today, uh, you know, you can go off of anything you've heard. Uh, if I had another question to ask you, it, it would be: So we've heard a lot of positive things about about the Affordable Care Act, uh, particularly from <coughs> Kathleen and, and Julia. Yet it was such a divisive campaign issue, and I, I kind of wonder, you know, why that was. So. It's your oh, choice. My, well. your, yeah, your, your choice. You can you can skirt go. that if you want. Well, no, I'm, you know it. It was divisive because we have a polarized electorate and a polarized um, elected, you know, Senate and House, and our political system has just become divided, red and blue, very starkly. And you know, if you go back to the summer of 2009, Senator then Senator DeMint of South Carolina urging his colleagues to vote against the Affordable Care Act because that was their strategy for breaking the Obama administration. This was, you know, their key legislation, legislative initiative. There was a lot Obama did, but this was, you know, for his legacy, health care reform, no president starting Teddy Roosevelt as a non-president, tried, you know, advocated for health care reform. FDR couldn't do it. Truman couldn't do it. LBJ couldn't do it. And down the line, um, and and uh, Bill Clinton, and and uh, Obama was going to be the, the first. And and so it just became heavily politicized. You know, the p- proposal he came that we passed as a country. That was a, or you know, Mitt Romney is a Republican governor, championed in Massachusetts, or at least supported, and it was the re- the Republican alternative, the conservative alternative to Clinton healthcare reform back in the 1990s. So it wasn't because it was the details; it, it very much followed conservative Republican principles of individual responsibility. We're not going to give you healthcare; you have to buy healthcare, and the people who get subsidies are those who can't afford it. So it, it wasn't some weight, crazy liberal scheme, not a single-payer system by any means, but it became heavily politicized, and you know, Republicans got back the House in, in 2010, you know, running against Obamacare. Now, in some ways, they boxed themselves into a corner. They promised to repeal it, and they have the votes. They can do it. They, you know, they can't do a full repeal because the... Um, Senate Democrats could block that with a filibuster, but they can use the path of reconciliation that was critical to getting the Affordable Care Act passed, key parts of it passed. Then they only need a simple majority, and they can undo the revenue aspects of it. So um, they could get rid of the funding for the Medicaid expansion. They could get rid of the funding for the subsidies for the people who can't afford to buy on the exchanges their own individual policies. They can get rid of a lot of the funding, the taxes on industry, device industry, to fund the Affordable Care Act. So they can do, they can gut the Affordable Care Act through the reconciliation process, the budget process, where they only need a majority. So if they can keep everybody, all the Republican senators in line, no defections. They've passed it already. Obama vetoed the, the gutting of the Affordable Care Act earlier this year. So we know they can do it if they want to. What they're struggling with, how, how are they going to you know, they promised to replace it with something as good. And if you look at all their suggestions, none of it adds up to the 20 million that the Affordable Care Act has provided. They can get 5 million maybe, uh, but, but not 20 million with what they've got on the table. There are ways to get there. Republican, all, you know, good conservative alternatives, vouchers. There's, there's a way to get there with vouchers, but the vouchers they're talking about are not the vouchers to get 20 million. Mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and give those numbers again if you are listening and want to call in and have a question, 812-855-0811, toll-free 1-877-285-9348. I think one of the things that stuck out to me in this introduction period was the 33 plans, and that sounds really intimidating for me. Someone maybe has trouble looking at four plans when I get them at work. So what can Hoosiers do when they see that or hear that in order to um, you know, get what's best for them? 
Well, they could call us to meet with a navigator because the navigator is going to help them, assist them, look at. Um, um, we're going to find which plans their providers are on because they're going to, you know, there's going to be a provider or a hospital or some services that they already want. And so we can, um, they're, they're wonderful. Um, on the website on healthcare.gov, you can plug in all that information and it'll help you get to that point in the navigator. And can I shamelessly uh, give our phone number now and let people know how to get a hold of a navigator, which is 877-313-7215. But navigators are there to, to help. Uh, we meet with people several times. A lot of people look at all those plans and narrow it down to three or four plans that um, they're in interest, go home, think about it, have another appointment with us. So we want to be there to help. I also want to mention it's also if they want insurance by January 1st, we have our first deadline coming up here for that, which would be December 15th to get um, in insurance. So um, like I said before, we're really busy right now. And that's why people are wanting to get that insurance going January um, first. And is that typical to just Indiana? Because I know in Indiana, there's we have HIP 2.0. Mm -hmm. uh, what makes that different from speaking non-Indiana? Um, and anyone can jump in here. Uh, well, well, just as far as the deadlines are concerned, mm -hmm. HIP, HIP is um, a continuous. We, you can sign up for that year-round. Mm -hmm. It's the marketplace that we're in open enrollment right now for. Yeah, go ahead, Kathleen. Our listeners know here who might be eligible for this marketplace. And and uh, Medicaid expansion through HIP was very helpful in reaching those that are uh, below the about 133% federal poverty level. But the marketplace applies to those who are can be making as much as 400% of the federal poverty level and get these tax credits. And if you're an individual that's an income of about $47,000, if you're a family of four, it's an income of about $97,000. So many, many people are eligible for these tax credits in the marketplace. And we really encourage you to go talk to a navigator such as Julia's great organization. There are others also in Indiana. Although Julia's organization just has, has helped uh, all across the state, um, if you are uh, any place else, also you can call 211 and they will uh, refer you to the nearest navigator uh, so you can get this free confidential assistance. A another point that I think is, is worth mentioning too, especially given the concerns that Professor Orenleiker appropriately pointed out for the future, and that is that people who sign up uh, for the insurance for 2017 can be assured it will be there. Uh, these are contracts people sign for the whole year. The insurance companies have pledged to honor them for the whole year. So you can be, you can be rest assured uh, that uh, signing up here will give you that peace of mind and that good health care for 2017. A, a final uh, maybe addition here, too, is, you know, we, we keep trying, uh, sometimes better than, than others, to, to make it easier for people to shop and compare plans because it can be a daunting experience, especially for someone who hasn't had health insurance in the past, like many who are shopping. Um, and so you, there are now, you can get in-person assistance by talking to a real life person like Julia. You could get uh, phone call assistance 24 hours of the day, seven days a week by calling the federal toll-free hotline at 1-800-318-2596. You can go on the healthcare.gov website or the Aspen Health Navigator website. Uh, you can even enroll on your mobile phone. And I know for a campus, that can be really helpful when data is showing us that about one out of five millennials you know, access the Internet through their mobile phone exclusively. You can shop and compare plans right on your cell phone and enroll that way if you'd like at 2 in the morning. So whatever is the easiest way for you, we have tried to make available an ability to get information in a free and confidential way to help you make your own personal choice. 
Well, I, so I have a kind of basic question as, as somebody who has a you know a company plan and doesn't do a lot of comparison shopping. So what am I comparing? What are the what are like three or four key elements that I would compare if I if I'm all of a sudden I'm faced with going to the market and looking at these thirty three plans available in Indiana? You're you're looking at you know what your co-payment is going to be. So there's different metal levels where you might pay. Um, your insurance would pay 60% or, and you pay 40 or 70, 30 and, and on up. You'll be looking at what your deductible is and, and what, um, um, and, and what that tax credit's going to be for you. It, that's really important in making sure when we're looking at it, it is how the plan payment and your tax credit's going to make a difference. And a big thing that's been a problem is how broad is the network of physicians and hospitals that your insurer will reimburse for. So some people will have a narrow health maintenance organization where it's just a local group of physicians and hospitals and if you go outside that network, you can get socked with a huge bill, and others will have a more extensive network. You have you have to pay for choice. Choice is expensive, and you know I like a policy that allows me if I need a specialist in New York or Chicago that my insurer will cover. But that comes at a higher premium, and and that's been one of the big trade-offs. Now, and another part that's been a problem is sometimes you don't realize. So we've heard a lot of stories of somebody who finds a hospital that's in their network, but then maybe the, the hospital contracts with an anesthesiologist or emergency room group that isn't in the network. And you did your due diligence, okay, I want to make sure you're in my network, and then not everybody, not everybody who works in the hospitals in the network. So Congress is looking at that, that kind of a situation. So there are a lot of things that moving parts and things you have to be very careful when you're picking your plan. Okay, I, I'm, I've developed a list of follow-up questions I know I want to ask, but we're going to have to take a short break right now. So uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the Affordable Care Act and what its future is. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org and you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about the Affordable Care Act today, and it's it's present and what you can do today to get on the uh, get get insurance through the exchanges, and also its future. We have four guests: Kathleen Falk, uh, the director of Health and Human Services for Region Five, which includes six Great Lakes states, and Julia Holloway, senior project director for Aspen Navigator Programs, and also a uh, David Orenlicker, a professor at the. Robert H. McKinney School of Law at IUPUI, and Kosalee Simon, a professor at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs here at Indiana University. So if you want to join us, if you have questions about uh, different things that might happen or if you need help sort of getting yourself squared away right now, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also uh, join us at Noon Edition at indiana.edu or at Noon Edition. So, um, Kosali, I want to ask a couple of kind of policy questions, look, you know, looking forward. One, David mentioned Medicaid expansion might be sort of on the block. And I wonder, you know, HIP 2.0 in Indiana was Indiana's form of Medicaid expansion. 
Mike Pence is vice president, and he's been touting HIP 2.0 as the way to go. So, what are the you know what do you see in terms of Medicaid expansion? One possibility is that there may be more of an appetite towards state innovation in these Medicaid expansions. So currently, the the administration has said you expand Medicaid under the terms set by the federal government, which includes, for example. Um, cost-sharing limitations or work, you cannot add things like work requirements or work search in there. Um, but there have been some states, been six states that have asked for waivers from those requirements to expand in ways that have more of a state experimentation and Indiana being one of them. So it could be that that program expands so that more of the, the currently about 19 states that haven't expanded, maybe they will come up with proposals that the current administration would not go for, but the new administration might not. That's one possible scenario. But other scenarios that have been brought up are moving to what's called a block grant program, where um, there would be some limits set on how much per capita per person the federal government would give to the states, and then the states would design and, and, and spend as they, uh, as they decide. That would involve figuring out what is that amount, and is that amount going to grow sufficiently as new medications and, and procedures get discovered, for example. So there are these multiple possibilities um, for how, how Medicaid might change. Okay. And, yeah, and on that David, block grant, th this is a huge divide. Do you create an entitlement, as Medicare is and Medicaid now, if you qualify, you get it? Or do you say, we're going to have a limited pot of money, and we're not going to guarantee, we'll just provide as much as we can? And, and that's a very different promise that you make to your, your citizenry if you say, if you meet our eligibility requirements, don't worry, we'll cover you, or we'll say, you may have to wait in line. And, and when you do it the second way, where you don't provide an entitlement, then you get waiting lists, and and you don't really meet the needs of the public. Right. Mm -hmm. And something that hasn't been discussed a lot is that Medicare also may be on the um, these same kind of ideas that are limiting the amounts um, that are available. Um, there's lots of discussions that are about what might happen to Medicare. Will it go towards a private option where there's a similar? Yeah, and there's a good way to do, you know, a reasonable way to do that is to say we already have that Medicare advantage, right? Mm -hmm. If you can take traditional Medicare, you can say the government will pay your premium for a private plan. And so, if, you know, if the Republican administration wanted to say Medicare advantage for all, we're going to put everybody into a private plan, but we're going to make sure we pay their premiums, that, that could work. But if they said we're going to give you a $5,000 voucher and you have to go buy it and 5000 may work today, but in five years it may not work because that's what happens. You never keep up. Minimum wage we know hasn't kept up over time. So there are reasonable ways to privatize it that could work because Medicare Advantage has been a pretty good program for the people who are in it. Um, and I think that, you know, that would be okay. Well, okay, can I, I want to ask you two policy people, and you two can join in, too, if you want, but I, I'm under the assumption Medicare is a pretty popular program, and it's become an entitlement for members of our, our nation. I mean, how can you mess around too much with Medicare? Well, that's a good point. And, and you know, getting back to the push to enroll, the more that people enroll – the more people who sign up for the Affordable Care Act, two things that will happen. It will work better. The reason, one of the big reasons why it's not working as well as it could or should is because lots of people who should be signing up aren't. And the broader the insurance pull, the better. And, and that's what's causing insurers to pull out. So people sign up. It will work more effectively. And it will make it more popular. And it will make it harder to take away. Because, you know, Medicare has traditionally been the third rail. You mess with Medicare, and remember, I think it was the Reagan administration where they passed a revision of Medicare, and people rebelled, and they had to re rescind it. Um, so, so you're right. That's that's the big question. How has the Affordable Care Act become entrenched enough that they'll have to do kind of a fake repeal, say we're repealing, but they're really not because 
to take away people's insurance, that's a, that's a big thing to do. On the question of is it that why mess with Medicare? Why is it that we would want to bring Medicare into this discussion? It's not that the, the change would happen because it's unpopular in any way. It's that financially it is infeasible going forward the way it's designed. So it's that kind of reality. It's not that anyone is unhappy with what Medicare looks like today. Okay. Uh, let me give the numbers again really quick. We're getting to that last part of the program, 812-855-0811, 1-877-285-9348, if you have a question. Uh, just to go along with what you're talking about, uh, in the first part of the program, we heard that Indiana rates, though, are going down. But n n in national news, I've been hearing everything about how they're going up about 22%. So why is that there that difference? Uh, this is Kathleen, and I, I can speak to that. And sometimes the, in, during the summer, you saw lots of um, uh, pretty provocative headlines uh, when the insurance companies were doing their uh, speculation of what their rates might be. And you know, by the time they actually all settled, and that they are requirements in the law that there are certain limitations on what the insurance companies can charge. For example, there's the 2080 rule that requires uh, the majority of their premium charges to actually go towards health care as opposed to administrative costs, for example. But, but having said that, and you look now at the Indiana rates, which did go down a decrease statewide average of 3%, um, given that, we also encourage the people who have already bought marketplace insurance for this year, you know, those who signed up, those Hoosers, about 200,000 Hoosers bought marketplace insurance for 2016 and they may be very pleased with what they have. We encourage them to shop again anyway, because the data is showing that the great majority of them will save substantial dollars by picking a comparable plan, but at a lesser cost, given the prices have gone down. In fact, uh, we believe that they may save as much as $1,400 annually on their premiums. So uh, please, this is the season to shop. And what could be more important? Uh, than shopping for your health care. So whether, whether you're a current marketplace consumer or not, please shop. Yeah, about the price increases, they have been in a number of states. But part of that was is because they didn't go, they went, you know, insured companies, when they entered the market, wanted to have a high market share. They wanted to sign up as many people as they could. So they lowballed their premiums. If you look at where they are, even with these increases compared to the projections of several years ago, they're right online. So things were lower than projected before, and now they've kind of caught up because insurers are trying to make up for their lowballing um, last year and the previous year. There's also a, a feature of how the marketplace plan premiums were being subsidized that's going that that was only there for three years is called the the adjustment payments that came from the group plans. So that part going away made the premiums, oh, yeah. the insurers no longer got this. It was on the order of about $500 per year per beneficiary that they got. They, mm -hmm. It's now gone away. Okay. What's good, this is Kathleen again. And you know, there's also good news in terms of the rates that people who already had insurance are paying. You know, the last five out of the six years since the Affordable Care Act went into effect, We've had, you know, the lowest increases in premiums in, in history. So there's been a very helpful effect there on helping control what used to be, you know, regularly, consistently double-digit increases in health insurance each year. All right. We have, a we have a phone call, so let's go to Stan on the phone. Stan? Hi. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing what can be done to encourage young people who are healthy to sign up because right now, from what I've heard in the past, they have no impetus to do so. Julia, you want to start with that? Yeah. Well, well, we uh, have 
been working with college campuses and been out and doing a lot of outreach. And we've we have enrolled a lot of people. And I don't have the statistic with me, but with, there have been a number here in Indiana that have enrolled. Maybe not as many as we wanted to, but we do um, a lot of targeting and and outreach and encouraging. And um, as we talk to students, they can get a real affordable plan, um, even less than the seventy five dollars a month. And a lot of students end up. Um, qualifying for HIP also. So, uh, but of course, they also are staying on their parents' plans till they're 26, too. So that's uh, um, something that's happening, uh, a great benefit of the Affordable Care Act, too. But, but we do, we uh, um, uh, go out there and outreach and try to encourage and uh, tell them the benefits of having plans. It, this is Kathleen, and it's, just, it's a really thoughtful question that this caller asked because it, he sounded like a little bit like me, maybe a little older uh, than a millennium. Um, but what you know, what we know is that that young people are less likely to think that they need health care. Um, that's that's just the reality of what they think, and so we've had a big challenge, and and we've encouraged grandparents and parents and peers and superstars and rock stars and basketball stars and you know anyone who a young person might listen to, to to be able to convince them that they are you know one broken leg away from bankruptcy um, let alone care if if there's a serious or life-threatening illness but it, the question's important one and we've thought about it a lot and that's why some of the improvements in how they young people can shop to make it more attractive and, and are, are, we're better able to reach them. You know, all the social media platforms now that are so important to, to younger people, we now have ads and constant communication through those social media platforms. And in fact, uh, this year the president has put out a national challenge to campuses all across the country, and I'm very, very pleased and grateful that this campus, your university here, um, and the Ivy Tech system have uh, responded to that challenge and are, are doing their best to help uh, get the information out to students and alumni about this enrollment period that, uh, again, uh, the deadline is December 15th, and that's when this uh, presidential challenge also expires to see what campus can do the most to reach the most young people before midnight on December 15th. All right, we're starting to get a, a few calls in, so give us a call if you want to ha ask a question about this topic, uh, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, noon edition at indiana.edu um, would be uh, our web number and at noon edition. So, What about people with pre-existing conditions? It's something that we hear a lot about, and uh, maybe someone can expand a little bit on on that and what they should be looking for? I mean, which kind in, of policies? In terms of, yeah. Does anything change? They, they, right. they don't change. have to worry now. Yeah, they yeah. don't they have don't, to worry. That, they that, don't have to worry. They're not going to get the question on the form saying, what is your pre-existing condition? They don't have to worry. And some of our best stories about how people are really appreciate the marketplace have been, you know, the diabetic mother that mm -hmm. uh, it was hard to afford their medicines and now she can and maybe has gone from a part-time job to a full-time job because she's able to get the health care and get the um, insurance she needs. We've got whole families that have come with, um, didn't even realize some of the pre-existing conditions because one person in the family did and they've all now been able to get health care. So abs absolutely, that's um, uh, like Kathleen said, that that box isn't there to ask about that. So a lot of, that's a lot of people are able to get affordable health care. And, and that's been such an important thing, not only for people's health, but also for the economy, because a lot of people stayed in jobs that really weren't a good fit for them because they needed the insurance. They couldn't get it on their own affordably. They had to rely on the employer. I've had people say to me, can you find me a job on your faculty? I, I just need, the, don't pay me a salary. I just need the insurance. And, and that doesn't happen anymore. People can leave jobs that they're not happy with or productive in and start out something that they'll be more productive. Mm -hmm. and, and so to lose mm -hmm. that would be uh, one of the biggest losses. 
That's interesting. Uh, Steve from Bloomington is on the line. Steve, go ahead. You're on Noon Edition. Yes, thanks. I just wanted to ask if when, when someone might uh, utilize the Healthy Indiana plan as an insurance policy, if they have a, a claimant that they, they use against that, does the state then hold um, that as a, uh, against their assets long term? I was told that was the case, that the state has the right to go back against a person's assets in, in, in the future. Uh, they could they could put a lien on your house or at your estate or I, I just didn't know what the what the status of that really was. I've heard some things, but not sure if it is actually true. I'm not aware of that. As there's a policy. There's no no provision in Medicaid that says that if you uh, use health care, that the the state can go after you for the assets. Especially now that that having assets is no longer a limitation in your ability to qualify. So earlier there were some rules that some states had, where if you had uh, assets in excess of you know two thousand dollars, you wouldn't qualify even if your income was low enough, or you had to yeah. spin down. Yeah, I think okay. he may be referring to the long term care part of Medicaid. There are. So some people do run into that where they're nursing home care that they that right. the state is able to come back and then if you have assets and we we could to compensate but it wouldn't apply in the hip 2.0 kind of setting. Thank you. All right, Steve. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, so we've talked we've we've talked a lot about some uh, many of the positives of of Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act and I guess I want to give each of you the opportunity. I mean if it's if you are going to make one fix or make one improvement to it, could you make a suggestion, David? How would you how would you improve what's in place now? Well, that's a good question. You know, the biggest problem is um, the failure to get broader enrollment um, into the system. So, you know, do you do it by increasing the penalties? Um, you know, if you look at the Netherlands, they have a similar system. You have to buy insurance. But the penalty in the Netherlands, if you don't buy an insurance, is the cost of an insurance policy plus a little bit extra, as opposed to, you know, ours might be What's the penalty less than, area? Yeah, well, it's a 2% or 2.5% of your income with a minimum and a maximum. So for some people, you know, it might be $1,000. If the plan costs you 5000 or 8000 or 10000 you think up. One thousand is a lot more affordable than eight or ten thousand. But in the Netherlands, there's no savings. You, you, your penalty is the cost of the insurance policy. Um, so um, I think that would be, you know, if you're right now, that's what's deterring a lot of people from buying insurance. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like that's the direction the Republicans are going to be going. Coastally, any. Uh, any thoughts? We all, this is Kathleen, and uh-huh. it's and it, it's still it's just sometimes surprises me, and it, and it may you, but we're still also learning that you know there are people who still don't know about the opportunity. They don't think it applies to them. They don't know about the tax credits. They think because they have a pre-existing condition, they'll be ruled out. So we really appreciate uh, shows like this. Thank you for having it to be able to help get the word out, so people do learn about it. Well, why don't you teach us a little more about the tax credits since you mentioned them? So give us some more information about that. Sure. The tax credits are available to anyone in the marketplace here that have incomes um, up to 400 percent of the federal poverty level. And as I gave a few examples earlier about what that number is, such as for a family of four, your income cannot exceed $97,000, about $97,000 a year for you to be eligible for the tax credits. And so those uh, you can get on a month-to-month basis to reduce your premium significantly, or you can take it all at once at tax time and when you settle up then. But uh, eight out of 10 uh, eligible uninsured um, here are eligible for these tax credits. And it's why, as Julia said earlier and I said earlier, um, almost six out of 10 Hoosers can find a plan for $100 a month or less with these tax credits. Okay, Kosali, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to answer that question. <laughs> how would you How would you improve what's currently in place? There's a I'm, I'm thinking about that in terms of the policy role. So if I was thinking mm-hmm. about how could the policy have been improved, there's I think it's the the 
broadening the buy-in, that somehow it, that the message didn't translate well and figuring out why. And we've got lots of other examples where it has been successfully done. So Medicare had its most recent expansion in 2006 with the prescription drug edition. That was a, uh, an insurance extension that was sold through private plans on a exchange li marketplace like setting. And that went, th 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 these problems did not occur in that setting. So I think uh, just on a, on, a, on a policy level, thinking about broadening buy-in and figuring out why that experience was not the same. Mm -hmm. Can either of you, any of you, give us some history about Medicare when it, when Medicare was actually first approved? Was there the kind of um, anger, pushback that we've seen with uh, the Affordable Care Act? Well, there was a lot of opposition to it. I mean, the American Medical Association opposed it. Um, but you know what was different? Why was Medicare, two things that were different. One is, you know, there was an overwhelming Democratic majority, and we were at a different time where people were more sympathetic to big government programs. So, you know, the, the country has just moved much more to the right. But the other thing that's really critical about Medicare and that gets to your question about, you know, why aren't we, you know, the, if I were really going to fix it, I'd just make it single payer. Why could we get Medicare, which is a single payer system, but not a single payer system now? And that was because the elderly were viewed as kind of deserving beneficiaries of a government program. These are people who had worked for, you know, decades. They were earned their retirement. They had higher health care needs, not because they did anything wrong, because they had aged. And it's inevitable. It's you're going to have to spend more money on healthcare when you hit 65 than when you're 45 or 25, and they had less income because they were retired. So they were viewed as a deserving, needy people in a way. And and that's if you look, Medicaid started out as a program for the deserving poor, not just any poor. You, you know, you had to be poor and disabled, poor and a child, poor and a pregnant woman, poor and a caretaker of children. We didn't want to just give it just because you were poor. And, and that's why those programs could get passed, because they were viewed as people who had needs and weren't responsible. We couldn't you know, hold them accountable. Um, going to a universal health care program means everybody gets it, and, and that's a struggle for our country. Okay, thanks. We have another phone call. Uh, John is on the line. John from Bloomington. Hi, John. Go ahead. You there? Well, I guess John's not there right now. Oh, oh John. there he is. Yeah, there, there's John. Hi there. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, as someone mentioned earlier uh, on your panel, uh, if uh, if an insurance company restricts the the coverage to their own private network, then uh, how, how does what aspects of the policy uh, that would cover what aspects of the policy are in effect if you have to if you want to go outside that network to see a specialist that isn't you know part of their network. Julia, you, you, well, it's going to depend on the the policy, of course, of of what um, the out out of network would be. On, on. What's an example of how it might be? Just a, a, a higher percentage. Yeah, you, yeah, you'd, you'd have to pay a, a, a higher percentage. Or, um, when you're out of network, and it's usually there on the policies when you um, open, I think. Yeah, I think another question, I'm not sure the answer, maybe you don't. So one is your co-payments will be higher, but what happens with your annual maximum? Does the out of network have a higher annual maximum? Well, sometimes they do. Yeah, so yeah. instead of having being capped at 12,000 out of pocket, you might be up to 15 or 20,000 out of pocket. So it, it can, there can be a big difference depending on the plan, and each plan will write it differently. What does, what does that, can you translate what you just said in garden variety English? What does it mean? Does it mean that you'll have, the, the person has to pay up to 15,000 15, out of pocket before the, the benefits come into effect? Is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah. Well, so you'll have your deductible. 
where, which could be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. Five hundred a yearly deductible. Before, yeah, before it kicks in. Then once you've paid off your deductible, then you have co- you share in the cost. You you might pay uh-huh. ten or twenty percent of the cost. Uh-huh. And once you hit twelve thousand or fifteen thousand, and all of your out-of-pocket costs, then you're a hundred percent covered. Oh. But oh. for the out-of-network, it takes longer. To, so there's two things. You'll pay a higher. You might pay forty percent rather than twenty percent. Yes. And you may be. You have to. You may keep paying that forty percent till you've spent fifteen thousand or twenty thousand rather than twelve thousand. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, put it another right. way, David, and tell me if I'm wrong. But if you, if you have a surgery coming up, you choose a surgeon that's in network. Um, the your out of pocket maximum might be. You know, eight thousand dollars, and if you choose an out-of-network surgeon, it might be sixteen thousand dollars. That's right, depending on the policy. Right, right. And and in a related uh, question, uh, how how does one call a hospital and and find out which subcategories of the of medical care are fielded are contracted out, which wouldn't be covered by the policy? You know, which would be considered out-of-network, you know, subcontractor. Yeah, well, all the hospitals have a a, a financial uh, department, and, and they're in that financial or where they enroll folks. Um, um, that's where you can usually find out what um, what insurances that they carry and who's. Um, sometimes, if it's different. Um, uh, people, though, that aren't connected with the hospital, you'll have to call each one of those, the surgeon's practice and things, to see. You have to call the individual doctor's offices to find out? You, you might have to if, they're, uh, if, it's a, if it's in a different network, if it's a physician network separate from the hospital. Well, I'm, I was speaking, I was talking about the... the the, the situation given given by one of your panelists about you know uh, uh, going to a hospital that's in the network but finding that their emergency well, we're going to have to yeah we're going to have to cut you off but um, Julia can yeah. you give him your phone number from as yeah. a navigator yes I, I'd be glad to if you have any further questions please yeah. feel free to call eight seven seven. Three one three seven two one five. Okay, we are out of time, so I, I want to thank our guests today: Kathleen Falk, Dave, David Orentlicker, Julia Holloway, and Coastalie Simon. For Joe Wren and Sophia Salaby, Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.